Welcome back to So Every Soul Sings, Worship for the Real Church. I am Bethany Pedigo. I'm here with my friend Rod Ellis. And today we are talking about irony, which uh something that's rather ironic. What's irony? The, irony is something that's true that you think shouldn't be true, and because it's true, it's funny. Is that a good definition? <laughs> yeah. And funny, usually in a way that is um, odd funny, not ha-ha funny. Yeah. But sometimes it's ha-ha funny, ha-ha funny too, so it just kind of depends. But yeah, I think, you, I think you got it. Great. I like defining words. I love words. Mm. So we, we both love the Bible. I love the Bible. You love the Bible. Yep. And we, when, when I pray, I think I've told you this before, I don't even like to pray anymore if I don't have at least a verse in mind or I have my Bible in front of me mm -hmm. to just kind of launch from there because I've found that I really want God's opinion on things more than my opinion on things. And if I start there, it helps point me in the right direction so that I'm not just praying for somebody out of my, my thoughts about their experience or their trouble but right. i'm i'm first taking god's thoughts because I, I do believe that scripture is god's thoughts that were distilled somewhat through human brains and hands and writing implements but what's interesting is that in your typical sunday morning service how much of it is informed by scripture or uses scripture specifically, whether it's the preaching, the praying, or the singing. Let me, let me say one more word about praying and scripture before we dive into the irony that, that I've noticed recently. Um, most days of the week, I will walk or run in my neighborhood, a combination of walking and running. And um, we have five families from our church who live in our neighborhood. And then the neighborhood next door, if I do a longer walk, or run, there are three families who live in that neighborhood. So I, I know where their houses are. And when I walk by, I pray for them. Or when I run by, I try to pray for them. Um, <laughs> or, or not die. Usually when I'm running, I'm trying not to die. And that kind of trumps. <laughs> so I'll stop running and walk and pray, and then I'll start running again. Um, but I, I find myself, if I don't know a specific need for that particular family, I will simply pray scripture. And, and my favorite one right now is Matthew 6.33, help them, help this family to seek your kingdom first and trust that everything's going to be added to, to the things that they're worried about. Um, and so I think it is so helpful to let scripture shape our prayers. So back to the irony, um, what I've noticed in, in, you know, in these continuing ed days that I'm in right now, um, I'm learning so much about the, the Bible's pattern for worship seems to include a lot of scripture and a lot of prayer. But when I go to church anywhere, whether it's a church service that I plan or it's at a conference or I'm on vacation, so I go to somebody else's church or I watch another church online, what I'm discovering is that there's very little scripture read and very little time spent in prayer. Now, scripture and prayer may inform, like we'll sing a song and there are allusions to scripture in that song. So I don't, I don't mean that it's like anti-scripture or devoid of scripture. But Paul said to Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not sure we're very devoted to that as churches in the modern worship movement. Seems to me we spend a lot of time with sermons 
and singing, but not a lot of time with scripture and with prayer. And I'm not, I don't mean that we can quantify all of that with time. I'm not saying that we should pray for 30 minutes and have five minute sermons, but we probably ought to pray more than 30 seconds. And we probably ought to read more than three verses of scripture. And so I have had this growing conviction, even especially, I guess, being at Woodburn, um, you know, we, we use way more scripture than any Baptist church I've been around. We do a scriptural call to worship. There's very often a scriptural introduction to a song. If not, there will be scripture on a screen during a song, whether it's the introduction or an instrumental interlude or whatever. And then we do a scriptural benediction. So I've, I've been trying to pack more and more scripture into our services, but I'm, I'm on the front edge of trying to find new ways to do that more. And so we're going to start scripture presentation teams as an experiment for a few months and see how that goes, where we'll actually have teams of people who are trained. They have weeks to prepare and they do some passage of scripture. Um, it, it may be a long passage, like in a couple of weeks, we're going to do the, the story of Lazarus um, being resurrected from John 11, or it might be a shorter passage, but it's, and, and it may be involved media, might involve scripture, uh, I'm sorry, images or video, um, other kinds of art. Who knows what's possible? Film. I mean, there, there are all kinds of ways that we might develop these scripture presentation teams, but I'm just convicted that we are missing out on the power of God in our services because we don't have the presence of God's word in our services more. Bethany, because of the reality of the way that your life is, especially the fact that the church you've been a part of for years meets on Sunday afternoons, um, you have been in lots and lots and lots of churches over the last few years. Do you see that as well, that most churches are about singing and sermons and not about scripture and prayer? Oh, I definitely agree. And not just singing and sermons, but even a lot of the sermons don't have a lot of scripture. <laughs> I mean, I can say that without being judgy. That's just the truth. Yes. <laughs> you know, right. uh, and some of them do, you know, um, not yes. all of them are devoid of scripture. But I often, even myself, find myself going, man, I just, I, I would like more scripture. <laughs> I, I, it's, it. You know, we are working on this uh, belief statement for uh, our relay uh, worship uh, activities that we are a part of. And we've talked about um, what we believe about the Bible, right? And um, we felt like it was important to say that we believe that the we believe the Bible is inspired by God and it is our authority. So what does that even mean that the Bible is the authority? maybe not the only authority, but uh, certainly the primary authority in our lives. Yeah. Uh, it means if I disagree with the Bible, I'm wrong. Or if somebody. That's exactly what it means. And nobody wants to say that, but I'm glad you did. Or if somebody else says something to me and I like it, but it's not what the Bible says, they're wrong. And so it, it is, um, it, it really is being able to, to recognize that I live under the authority of scripture, which is the word of God. Um, I don't worship scripture. I don't, I don't, I don't think I, I, I have described um, some denominations um, obsession with scripture as bibliolatry. 
I think we can yes. easily worship the Bible and feel like it has a status that it doesn't belong, almost like there's a quadrinity instead of a trinity. And it's not Mary, like the Catholics might be inclined to put with the trinity, but it's the Bible, which a lot of Baptists might be inclined to put with the trinity. It's, it's not God, it, but it is God-breathed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it has to be our authority. I, I, I mentioned Ravi Zacharias in our podcast we did with Tasha just super briefly, but Ravi says, if you don't know what a ruler is, if you don't know what 12 inches is, then you can't measure a mile, which means gas mileage becomes irrelevant. You never know when to fill up your tank. There has to be an objective standard. And the objective standard that we have as believing Christians, as evangelicals, I suppose, is the word of God. And if we don't understand it, that doesn't exempt us. It just means we have to try to figure out how to understand it. Mark Twain famously said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that trouble me. It's the parts I do. (laughs) Well, that's the rub, isn't it? Yes. And those things stand in authority over me. One more thing, and then I'll I'll let you back in. Um, I have a friend named John Lawrence. I love John. I miss him. He was a part of our church in Frankfort, Kentucky. John said his grandfather taught him every time he prays to hold his Bible over his head to lay the scripture on top of his head. And so I would see John at the altar at church praying after the sermon, and he would just pour out his heart to God while holding the Bible over his head. He wanted his prayer to be under the authority of God's word. That's just so beautiful to me. But if we don't, I mean, if we have that kind of respect, and if we believe that it is our authority, then why aren't we reading it on Sunday mornings? More than two or three verses, like you said. It's one of my favorite things about Tim Harris and his preaching is that he he reads long passages of scripture before almost yes. every sermon. And yes, I, he does. It's <laughs> powerful. And, and I want to contribute to that um, by doing other yeah, balancing scripture passages. And, and he and I've talked about that. He's all for it. So we're, we're exploring how to make that work in, at Woodburn. Okay. I just kind of went on a, a, I don't know, three or four minute rant there. Um, but you were ready to say something. So <laughs> quiet okay. from there. Um, well, I was going to say when we were doing um, worship Kentucky uh, this past year, we had four sections of the day. So we basically split up this eight-hour day into four sections of uh, celebration, adoration, uh, response, and proclamation. And before, in, in, so during that time, we would have mostly singing and mm-hmm. worship that way. But before each of those sections, our dear friends Heather and Craig Bitterling crafted these pieces of scripture declaration and reading that were so artistic and beautiful and moving and powerful. And it set the stage for everything that came after it. And I remember thinking to myself, this is how it should be done. Like we need to do this. So when you say you're getting teams of people who are going to be kind of training how to do that, that's so exciting to me. So if you're listening to this podcast right now, you think that's a great idea too you need to contact rod and ask him how you can maybe start this in your church today 
Yeah, I, I would love to help. Rod E. Ellis at gmail.com or my cell number is 502-229-0114. Reach out any way that you can and I would be glad to help. I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram too. Um, I'm actually, for a class that I'm taking, I'm working on a paper that's about this very subject. And so I, I kind of have to get more expertise. I don't think I'll be the expert, but I have to gain some expertise in order to pass the class, which is important to me. So I'm going to be working on this at a pretty significant level um, and, and I'm excited about what it might offer for our church and then hopefully some other churches as well. And I anticipate that Craig and Heather will be here at some point to do a workshop with these folks because they are amazing. Um, Masters. So many ways, but they, they really yes. are. Uh, a, a hugely practical resource for this kind of thing is a book I just went off and grabbed off the bookshelf called The Dramatized New Testament or The Dramatized Old Testament edited by Michael Perry. And it's, it actually takes most of both testaments and breaks it down into like readers. So I mentioned that we're going to do John 11 in a couple of weeks. And so it's written for narrator, Mary, Jesus, Martha, person one and person two. So you got, you grab six people out of your church who are pretty decent at articulating words and you get them practicing a few times and they read this passage and then it's all of a sudden you're storytelling. You're not just Bible reading and, and it's how far you go with that will depend upon the personality of your church and, and who God has brought to your church for some places that are pretty comfortable with drama. You can actually really dramatize. Um, my professor, uh, Jeff Barker wrote a book called the plays. Uh, yeah, I can't remember it sitting on my shelf at home and I've read uh, <laughs> the opening part of it. Um, but it's something like performing the plays of the, of the Bible um, and he's actually taken seven different extended passages from, I think all of them are the old Testament and turned them into plays like full length plays. And it's all scripture. There, there is no, um, additional words. If your church is friendly to that sort of thing, can you imagine a Sunday night service where half of the service is a play of the Bible and how differently people hear that? I watched a couple of those um, on YouTube from Professor Barker and his drama troupe at his college where he taught, just retired from. Um, and I thought to myself, watching The Sword of Goliath, I can't imagine being a college student at 19 years of age, learning the truths of that passage that deeply and how that would serve me for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Well, translate that to our churches. What if you had a youth ensemble of three to five teenagers who were into musical theater, like a lot of people in Bowling Green are, or into the yeah. in general, like art true all over the world. And those people began to internalize at that level what the scripture was. I, I don't think now you're reading the Bible because you're supposed to. You're internalizing the word of God, sharing it with your church family, and it becomes a transformative moment in Sunday morning worship that people look forward to. I, I think that's at least what Paul meant when he was telling Timothy to devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. Um, we we, we want to make the script. The scripture is already alive. Hebrew says it's alive and active, right? We just want to release it. And so much of what we've done is we've shut it in a book and every once in a while we open to one page and read two or three verses and we're not letting very much of it out. And so I would just call on all of us. And again, I'm, I'm trying to lead by design, by example here at Woodburn, um, let's just do more of it in, in churches on Sunday morning. Go ahead. There's a question. How, how do you pick 
what scriptures to use. Because mm. I think if a pitfall is idolizing scripture and, you know, worshiping it in a, a not good way, and I mean, don't worship it. There's no good way to worship scripture. <laughs> don't worship scripture. Yes. So if that's a pitfall, um, don't you think that there are certain passages of scripture that people use to get into denominational fights, for example, or to try to make political statements that are controversial. Um, and, and maybe that's probably not the best idea either uh, when you're trying to use scripture as a tool in your gatherings. So how do you pick what scriptures to use? So there's an example of a question I wish you'd asked me before we started recording. <laughs> You know, it's my favorite thing to do. Yes, thank you so much. Um, <laughs> so I'll answer in a couple of ways, and, and hopefully they are helpful. Um, the first one is, when I think of great preachers, I think of preachers who preach the full counsel of God. That's a preacher phrase, the full counsel of God. In other words, they're not going to have pet passages that they only refer to. So they're not going to just be New Testament preachers, or just gospel preachers, or just, you know, da the story of David. You know, they, they're going to preach... <laughs> everything. And if they don't like it, they're going to preach it anyway. And if they don't understand it, they're going to preach it to the best of their ability and trust the Holy Spirit to do his work. And so um, in some traditions, not mine, but in, in many traditions, they will use the lectionary. Um, and the lectionary is a, um, a carefully crafted three-year plan by which you read or can read the entire Bible in worship. Uh, some preachers use that, and that's the way that they struggle, or they structure, I'm sorry, they structure their sermons is, using is that actually across denominations, or is there a Baptist lectionary and a Meth United Methodist one and a yeah, Presbyterian good, one? Good question. There are multiple lectionaries. Uh, some denominations have um, an endorsed one. I believe the Lutherans do, for example. The Anglicans do. The Catholics do. But if you just get a lectionary and you're not a part of a tradition that has one that is sub um, yeah, prescribed for you, then they all have the same objective. And that is to get the full counsel of God, the, the whole scripture in front of the church. Um, you can find those online. Just do a Google search for lectionary. It's like lectern, L-E-C-T-I-O-N-A-R-Y. Um, and, and you'll find a lectionary readings for every day of the, of the Christian year or of the year. So you could go there. You could just say, hey, I don't know what my preacher's preaching on on August the 8th, but I'm going to pull up the lectionary readings for August 8th and see what's going on. And that way you're not looking for pet projects. You're just looking for the word of God. Another thing that I think you can do is find um, great psalm passages that make for great ways to start the service, like Psalm 95, which is the Venite, or Psalm 100, or Psalm 150, or any Psalm 1. And there's so many that are just great ways to start the service. And instead of using one or two verses, open that up to be six or eight or ten verses, and then use the psalms. It was always sung in Jesus' day, or chanted um, and so that's a really safe place to go. Um, read them carefully. There, there are some folks that would believe that the Psalms of, um, of lament uh, should be left out because you want church to be a happy place. I'm not sure that's true. I think you want church to be a, a real whole. Yeah. Worship for the real church. We, we want church to be a real place where struggle is a part of life as well as victory. Um, there are psalms that are called imprecatory psalms. That's a really fancy word that means they, they curse. And it's David saying, curse my enemies. 
Um, he's not like using cuss language. He's just cursing his enemies. Um, yeah. I've read a couple of those just the last week or so in my daily devotional time. And it's, it's hard for me. I don't, I don't think in that way. And so there are, there have been a lot of great church leaders through the centuries who have said, let's leave those out. Let's not read cursing in worship. And, and I understand that. I, I, I trust your judgment, trust the spirit in you to guide you to make that decision. Um, another thing that you can do is the great stories of the Bible. And, and there are, of course, hundreds of them. Um, read the story, read Noah and the ark, um, read David and Goliath, uh, read Joseph. And when he forgave his brothers, you know, all of those great stories, just, you can even page through your Bible very quickly. You could probably do this in 15 minutes and just say, I'm going to look for 10 epic stories. And then over the next 10 months, do one of those a month and just read them. And if, if you know what your pastor's preaching on, um, either use it to balance, like this Sunday, my pastor's preaching on singleness. Is there somebody for everybody is the name of his sermon. Um, most of the people in our church are not single. So I'm probably not going to um, pile on by adding more scripture readings about singleness to his sermon text from Paul about singleness. But I might read something that's entirely unconnected to that, but still is about God. I mean, part of what we're going to do in worship is Try to make God bigger for people. He's not being made bigger. Our image of him is being made bigger. So what can you do as a story that just says, this is how big God is? Because if there's something a single person who is sad in their singleness needs to know, it's that God is big. Mm -hmm. So now I'm not talking about the theme of the day, but I'm using something from the Bible that balances the theme for the day by simply making, making much of Jesus. So I think all of those are just... If we think more about God's story than about our agenda, then we can choose Bible passages that would be helpful. Is, is that kind of what you were asking about? Yes. What else and would you do? When, would you add anything to that? Well, when you mentioned Psalms, do you yes. think that is what Paul was referring to when he said, when you meet each one of you, you should speak to one another using Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? Do you think he was actually meaning the Old Testament scripture of Psalms? I do. I'm inclined to think that Psalms are a category of song that Paul knew. And so he said, include this category. And hymns was a different category of song that he knew. And hymns are different from Psalms. And so he would say, use these. And then spiritual songs was the only other category. And, and, and there is some controversy about this in commentary land. You know, Bible scholars, uh, some will say that he was just um, being casual by mentioning psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Some say he's being very intentional about those three divisions of congregational song. Uh, I don't know that it really matters, except for I think psalms are psalms. And so we should sing the psalms. Mm -hmm. um, it may be that some of you listening wouldn't know this, but Isaac Watts got thrown into jail, the guy who wrote When I Survey the Winter's Cross. I mean, like, that's a really, really risky song to write, Right. Well, it wasn't his day because he got thrown in jail for writing devotional hymns because in his day, all you could sing was songs mm. and you couldn't sing any other kind of song or song on, on it when the church gathered. And so he, he really did. He got thrown in jail for writing a song like When I Survey the Winter's Cross. I mean, you know, worship wars are not new. Um, I've been around a long time. So psalms are one category and we should sing them. But then I think Paul's right. We should sing other things. Hymns are the, like When I Survey, that's a, that's a hymn. It's a poem that is repeatable and has structure to it. And it's 
you can sing verse one, verse two, verse three, verse four. That's kind of what makes it hymnic. And then spiritual songs are kind of the other songs. They're songs that don't have that kind of clear form. Um, some people would say those are spontaneous songs, uh, like um, one of the Hebrew words for praise in the Old Testament is, is a spontaneous song. Um, others would say, Tehillah. Yeah. I know that one. Yes. Tehillah. Tehillah. Uh, and some others would say that it's just an, another category of song. I don't know that it matters, but I think it's good to sing psalms, and it's good to sing hymns, and it's good to sing other songs in church. Hmm. Yeah. So this is scripture reading we've been talking about, but also prayer. And, and prayer is, is another place where I'm feeling convicted about our Sunday mornings at Woodburn, that we need to pray. We need to have more time in prayer, more ways for people to pray. Um, I have served churches where an individual would stand up to pray and pray for five minutes or 10 minutes or 12 minutes. And, and that's not what I'm talking about. I, I'm okay. I, I love pastoral prayers. I love being led in prayer by the pastor. I love intercessory prayer where we're actually literally praying for other people. But I, I don't mean just that. I mean just more prayer, that we have prayer of praise, and we have prayer of dedication for the offering, and we have prayer of thanksgiving for communion, and we have prayer of blessing for the benediction, and we have prayer of intercession for those who are sick, and we have prayer for our leaders. And my goodness, in this time of social unrest and political unrest and the pandemic, how much do we need to be praying for our political leaders, for our medical community? For I mean, there are just so many ways that we can pray that it makes me sad that we don't spend more time finding more ways to pray on Sunday morning. It's not a prayer service, except for the fact that all of worship is prayer. And so we probably ought to be finding ways to pray more. And maybe if we prayed more times in a service, we could pray shorter times in the service. And then we could have a 30-second prayer here, or a two-minute prayer there, or a four-minute prayer there. And it doesn't feel like we have, oh no, somebody's going to stand up and pray. We're going to be here forever. But instead, it's just part of the journey from the call to worship to the benediction where we are just praying our way through that journey. And I, I don't have that one figured out as well in our context here, um, but it's a commitment that I've made internally. And now I guess I'm making externally that, that we're going <laughs> to spend. We all heard you just now. <laughs> we're just going to try to find some more ways to do that. We did a podcast well, not long ago, Giving in Prayer. Yes. Go ahead, talk we about just, it. Well, we, we just did a podcast not long ago about some practical tips on leading public prayer, uh, specifically public prayer in a you know worship service or a church service. Um, really, really practical tips. So go look for that right now. It should be the most recent one out as of the middle of July. Yes. And one of the things that the folks, I, I did a workshop for some of our lay leaders here at Woodburn about leading public prayer. And one of the things they found most helpful, which was interesting to me, was the different roles that prayer can play. So if they're doing the offertory prayer as an usher, they don't need to cover all of the different prayers that would be a part of the Sunday service. They're offering a prayer of dedication. And then they can leave the pastoral prayer, you know, if we have one that day, that, that the pastor would pray prayers of intercession or prayer of praise. And, you know, there are things that belong in all prayers, um, but not all prayers need to have all things. So I, I would just say, pay attention, to, be intentional, find ways to, to litter your service with prayer, and then find ways to get your people praying on Sunday morning. And this is 
um, and more liturgical traditions very familiar and more yes. evangelical less familiar, but a, 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 a style of prayer called the bidding prayer, where you simply say, um, and now Lord, hear our prayer for those serving in the military. And you pause. And then the congregation might say, Lord, hear our prayer or not. That feels right. a little more liturg- liturgical. And if you're a tradition that is kind of anti-liturgical feel, and, and that's a really complicated phrase that we could talk about forever, but it, you know what I mean. <laughs> then you just, you don't do the Lord hear our prayer. You just say, would you all take a minute? Let's just pray for our military leaders. Mm-hmm. Pray for them to be safe. And yes, then- I, I grew up United Methodist. Right. And uh, one of the things that I really love about that tradition is all of the li- li- the liturgy and the prayers surrounding communion. I could I could tell him all to you right now because my dad is pastor and I would often help him serve communion. And mm. so we would read through this um, liturgy, you know, many times. I don't think we did it every week, but it was at least once a month we sure. would uh, have communion. And so there's this, they're beautiful, beautiful prayers. There's a prayer of confession and a prayer of thanksgiving and, mm-hmm. and so forth. So you can actually use prayers that other people have written and, and it, it be a good thing. <laughs> I think, you know, some people are like, no, cause that's not really praying. That's just repeating somebody else's words. But really that's what we're doing when we read scripture. We're, we're repeating somebody else's words um, right. and we're adding our amen to it. And those things can become a part of us. And so you can pray spontaneously or you can pray with pre-written prayers and you can pray with pre-written prayers which are found in scripture you know there's actually apostolic prayers is what i call them because they're Mm. prayers that paul wrote you know in ephesians and colossians and are some of my favorite parts of scripture but they're great for praying um so and you can pray psalms and you can you can pray all kinds of parts of the scripture even though somebody else wrote them first yes and you can do that in church and i guess that's the bottom line of the irony of this is that we as church leaders always say read your bible and pray Read your Bible and pray. If there are two things I would encourage you to do, it would be read your Bible and pray. All the other spiritual disciplines are great, but the two most important are read your Bible and pray. But then we come together for church on Sunday, and we don't do very much reading your Bible and praying. So ah! We're not modeling for people that it's important, and then we're not also not modeling for people how to do it. And again, one of my favorite things about my pastor listening to him read Scripture, oh my goodness, it's just, it's like he wrote it, and he didn't. I don't mean like to imply in any way that I worship my pastor. I don't. He's awesome. He's also fallen and broken. Um, But he reads scripture in a way that just, it makes sense when he reads it. Well, if I'm reading scripture at home and it doesn't make sense, then maybe because my pastor models for me how to read, I can read it out loud at home like he would read it. And I actually find myself doing this sometimes, especially if it's a passage I'm struggling with. I'll say, okay, how would Tim read this? I'll read it out loud like I think he would read it. And then it begins to make more sense. And so if we're not doing that, we are disarming or disabling our people from doing the very thing that we're calling them to do. So that's why I think one of the reasons I think it's very important for us to do more of scripture reading and more of praying in the Sunday morning gathering so that we can empower our people to do that when they're not together. Uh, so that we have less of a disconnect between the Sundayness of our worship and the everydayliness of our working out our salvation with prayer and the word. Mm-hmm. Um, 
years ago, a, a team came from the International House of Prayer to my home church in Northeast Tennessee. And part of it was instruction on devotional times of worship. And they said, this is what you need to do with scripture. You need to read it, write it, say it, sing it, and pray it. Mm. Do all of those things. And that's a great devotional practice for you personally, but then you can also do that together with people in public in your church. Yes. By the way, as my pastor said to me about this whole scripture presentation teams thing, and I've already passed on to another worship pastor, this is not a worship war. People are not going to get upset with you because you changed the style. You're reading the Bible. This is a win. And so he said, I, I think this is a great project for you to do. I mean, nobody's going to get mad because you're doing a new style of music. They're just going to hear more of the Bible. Like, how is that possibly a bad thing? And I know we have a very limited amount of time. I struggle with that every week when I sit down to plan worship gatherings. We have a very limited amount of time. But what in the world would you say that's more important than what God has already said? And I say that to myself over and over again. Like, What are you going to stand up in front of these people and say that's more important than what God already put in the Bible? I think maybe we should do more of what God wrote and less of what we feel like we could say. And I, I don't mean that about preachers. I mean that about worship leaders, worship pastors. You know, instead of taking three minutes to tell a song story, take a minute and a half and give the other minute and a half to the Bible. And let's just see what happens. Because I, I think that because God's word never returns void and because it is alive and active and because we're supposed to devote ourselves to the public reading of it, that when we do those things, we're going to find that we tap into a part of God's power that we've been missing out on. I would love to hear what you all think about this. I really would. I, this feels like it's, um, uh, it feels like it's not normal. Therefore, maybe not, not controversial. That's not the right word, but, but something that you might have to wrestle with. So write to me, send me an email, send me a text, send me a Facebook message, whatever. Um, and just tell me this, this is, you're, you're off your rocker. What are you thinking? Or this has been great. Or how will I do this? And I would, I would really love to hear from you. So again, email rod Ellis at gmail.com. My cell number 502-229-0114. Um, you can find me on all the socials. Uh, and I would just love to hear from you. And if there's a way that we can help, um, either Bethany or I, I'll toss her out there with me because I know her heart to serve. Um, we would be glad to do that. And, and we mentioned Craig and Heather Bitterling. Check up, do a Google search for Arts Alive in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and you'll find their website. Um, they are absolutely stunning. We have used their ministry here at Woodburn with great um, success. And they're just so effective and they are godly. They're not just talented. They're incredibly godly people. And I love them so much. They would be glad to help with any kind of any of this stuff that we've been talking about. And um, they don't even know we're mentioning their names. Uh, their website is artsaliveky.com. Artsaliveky for Kentucky.com. Uh, and, and they travel all over. You don't have to be in Bowling Green. They would be glad to come and be a part of your ministry in whatever way they can. So there are others who do the same. I mentioned Jeff Barker. Um, you can Google him and drama or scripture plays or something like that and find a lot of videos on YouTube, dozens of them. So if it's a place of interest for you to be able to do scripture presentations, there are resources. Um, I, I'm developing a list. So reach out. I'd be glad to help in any way I can. Bethany, any closing thoughts today? 
Yeah, I would I would actually encourage people to research the name for the word of God in scripture, just as a fun little tidbit to throw out there, because there's actually different words used in scripture that mean different things, kind of like praise. I know we've talked some about holy roar, you know, that defines these words for praise in the Bible. And and I have gotten so much out of that book. It's it's Hmm. helped me put in a biblical concept that construct (laughs) a biblical framework uh, what I do as a worship leader, because I understand a little bit better what these words mean. So when you um, just do some a little bit of research, you can find that there's different words in scripture that um, refer to the written scriptures. Mm-hmm. And then other other things like Jesus, for example, is called the word of God and, and so forth. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. So, yeah, I hope there's been a lot to chew on. This this has been a super practical podcast episode. Um, Again, if you have input, pushback, um, need for help, reach out. We'd love to do that. Remember, we're trying to build a tribe of people so every soul sing. And we didn't talk about singing a lick, except that we might ought to do a little less of it so we can do more Bible reading and prayer. But I can promise you, I really can, that if there's greater presence of God's word um, powerfully unleashed and prayers of God's people powerfully unleashed souls will sing in your church like they've never sung before. So serve your church. So every soul sings.